I became a lawyer at one of Canada's top law firms, and I would have thought there would have been so many people I could look to for advice on business development. But I really didn't find it there. There didn't seem to be any consistency. There didn't really seem to be too much training, certainly nothing that resonated with me. And I realized I needed something more. And that's the reason I hired a coach. But a coach isn't for everybody. It can be expensive, right? You may not have that support. And so we wanted to find a way where we could take knowledge from legal experts like myself and knowledge from sales experts like Dowell and bring it together for people in a cost-effective way, but still give people incredible quality, build a community, you know, help people be accountable, all that sort of good stuff. And that's what we're doing with the Build Your Book Academy. There are two different ways you can access the content. The first is an asynchronous series of videos that we're going to constantly be updating. It's going to have a series of exercises, videos, stories, all those kind of things you need if you've got that own in, your own internal accountability to do it yourself. But we know for most lawyers, and I know from my own personal experience, that isn't enough. You need something a little bit more hands-on, something that holds you a little bit more accountable, and something where you get some feedback live in real time. And that's where we're launching our cohorts, the Build Your Book Academy Live. Small groups of lawyers working together, learning from each other, and learning from legal and sales experts. You can learn more about all of this and sign up at buildyourbook.org academy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Build Your Book podcast. This is your host, Aaron Bear and Neville Tank. Every week, we bring to you stories about the legal profession to help lawyers build a better book of business, a better practice, and a better life. Let's get started. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Build Your Book podcast. Really excited to have you guys back. It's a bit of a long weekend up here in Canada, so we thought we'd do a short episode, a mini episode, and talk about a very important concept about the nature of time, about the nature of productivity. And in our last episode, we talked a lot about this idea of vision, of, of sort of setting your own agenda. You know, we're, as lawyers, we're so used to, well, not just as lawyers, but as accountants, as really any service professional, you're so used to letting other clients set your, the agenda for your life, for your work. And it's important to figure out your own vision, what it is that you want to try and accomplish your own self. And one of the first ways that when we start working and coaching with people, um, you know, we help them build out this vision, we help them get excited about it and start taking action. But in inevitably, um, everything sort of falls by the wayside when they actually have to get down to do the work, just because the pressure of work, the pressure of time is just so overwhelming. It's always sort of sitting on top of your head. Um, you know, as knowledge workers, we might have allocated a little bit of time to do a certain project, but then it goes way over or way under. And, you know, what we found out from coaching so many people is that our modern solution to time, to time management, to thinking about time is just not working. Uh, the way we try and manage for flexibility is just not working. Because how do we actually use time right now? It's through the to-do list. It's through the calendar. Um, and in this episode, what we really want to do is try and find a different way of looking at time, a different way of looking at work, and a different way of looking at productivity. So, you know, Aaron, I want to ask you, as a lawyer, as, as someone who's sort of been in the trenches, and from all the colleagues, all the people that you've interacted, tell me a bit about how time looks for you. How do you manage your time right now? Yeah, it's a great question. And time is, I think, the most scarce resource for lawyers and therefore one of the biggest challenges. You know, there, there's always more to do. I think when you're starting out as a lawyer, 
time is so hard because you don't own your time. And it's not just the client that, that owns your time, it's it's the lawyers you work with. And I still remember starting out as an articling student, which in Canada is what you do when you graduate law school, you article for 10 months. And with a group of friends from law school who we used to get together with all the time. And just trying to make even the most basic of plans, even on a Friday night to get together. We we're all working within a you know two block uh, radius of each other. It was so hard because none of us owned our days. None of us owned our schedule. And there was always that fear or that reality that something was going to come up last minute that needed to be done. Doesn't matter if it was a Friday afternoon before a long weekend, a Monday night. And I remember saying to somebody before, you know, well, yeah, we've got plans at 730. Uh, I'm currently free, you know, at six o'clock, but I can't guarantee you I can be there because I, I literally did not know my time. I had no idea what to expect. And there was always that possibility that something way beyond my control would just come up. And so I think that's the toughest part when you're starting out is you literally have no control over your schedule and you often have a lot less foresight. Obviously it depends if you're working for a broad range of people or if you're just working for you know one or two people. I think as I got more experienced and more senior, I started to in, in a lot of ways have much more control over my time in the sense that I at least knew high level what was on what was going to be on the go. So I wasn't getting an email at five o'clock from a lawyer saying, oh, I need this done for Monday. You know, it might be an email from the client, but in most cases, the client doesn't actually need it done for Monday. And so at least I was getting rid of some of those fake internal deadlines or promises other people were making that I then had to follow through from. But, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges of being a lawyer is you never know what your day is going to look like. So I go into each day with a ballpark sense of what I want to do. I've got my to-do list. Uh, we can talk about the tools I use to sort of manage that and the tools my current firm uses. But that doesn't mean that's the reality. You know, so when I look ahead to Tuesday, I've got a lot of calls. I know th what those are. I know what I need to get done. But there's always going to be stuff that comes in unexpectedly. And I think part of it is building some slack into your schedule. And we always tell younger lawyers, never assume you're going to have that perfect amount of time and nothing new is going to be done. And I know, Dowell, that's pretty different than a lot of other professions. You know, in, in sales, for example, I think normally you're the one scheduling the calls. You know, you have a much better sense of what's ahead. And, and that's very different in law and I think different in accounting as well. Yeah, you know, I, you, you raised a really interesting point about having slack in your schedule, having slack in your day. Uh, I think a lot of people look at time as a, as a glass of water. You know, they look at it and they want to try and fill it up as much as possible. And that gives us the sense of, well, you know, here's a calendar and if there's any white space you want to claim it. You want to just fill it with stuff. And I think this, this way of looking at time is quite outdated and it's um, outmoded, especially for knowledge workers like us who have to respond to these sorts of emergencies that can happen at really any time. Um, and I think a much more constructive way of looking at time and looking at work is to think about flow and not capacity, right? Capacity is about filling the calendar. Capacity is about filling the glass with as much water as possible. Uh, and we know that what ends up happening, right? The, the glass becomes over, can start overflowing any time and you, you move it a little bit and all this water is going to overflow. Um, if you were to translate the capacity analogy onto a freeway, which is all about flow, if you maximize the capacity of a freeway, right? You just stuff it with every car possible, you get traffic, you get rush hour, you get the inability for any car to move. You know, I, I'm originally from Toronto. Um, and we used to have this uh, freeway called the DBP, the Don Valley Parkway. And during rush hour, people used to joke that it's actually the Don Valley parking lot just because there was so many cars on there and you couldn't really move at all. And that's sort of what ends up happening when you try and overstuff your calendar with so much stuff. And it's so much more productive to think about it 
Think about your time, think about your workday as a measure of flow, flow from point A to point B, taking a task from uh, different stages of how you create value. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that in, in a moment. Uh, but the less cars there are, the more traffic can flow easily. You don't want the highway to be completely empty. You don't want the freeway to be completely empty because that's a waste of having that freeway on there in the first place, right? You want a steady flow of traffic on that freeway. But if you put it up to capacity, then cars can barely move. You want the right amount and you want enough space between all the cars. And that's what Slack is all about so that cars can flow. And so if you reorient your day from thinking about, well, how can I add a little bit more Slack in my schedule? You'll be amazed at how quickly you can get back into action, how you can get, how you can actually get stuff done a lot more quickly. Um, anyways, back over to you because I know you're talking a little bit more about some of the tools that you're using at your current firm and some of the productivity sort of hacks that you figured out. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I ran a session at my old firm uh, for our summer students, and it was in a panel of associates, and we'd sort of do an hour session, a lunch and learn. And it was one I created. We talked about really low-level stuff because I found so many of the sessions were so high-level, and yet none of them were really telling you know students here's here's how to manage your life as a summer student. They were very much you know here's what due diligence is and here's what a litigation file is. But you know as a student, you've got much more pressing issues than these high-level things. And at the session every year, I would ask the associates on the panel, uh, how do you how do you keep track of what you're doing? And, and I asked that mainly out of curiosity but also because I wanted to give the, the students a sense of, of what the reality was looking like. And as a student, I think, you know, you, you don't really know what you're doing and you also don't have that much on your plate, but it doesn't feel that way. It always feels like you have a lot, right? Sort of like in kindergarten, you know, your biggest problem is, you know, some little thing as an adult, but to you, it's, it's an enormous issue, right? Because you've never experienced it before and you have a different perspective. And I was always astounded. The answers were usually a uh, piece of paper was probably the most common maybe a whiteboard in their office, a lot of people using email, literally like they had an email in Outlook or Gmail or whatever that they would, I guess, update and hopefully save and wouldn't get deleted. And then a bunch of people using uh, like Google Docs or an Excel document. And I was the only one using any sort of task management software. And so I've been using Asana for about the last three or four years. And I literally started using it out of necessity. Uh, it's funny, actually, I, I remember when I was in university and involved in a, in a club uh, running a, a charity chapter uh, at Western where I went to school, I wanted to use Asana, you know, 10 years ago and other people weren't interested. But I, I ended up using it out of necessity at work because I ran a high volume practice, which is not common for a corporate lawyer. I probably in a given day, I'd be working on between 10 and 20 different files. So you want to talk about flow and managing workload, you know, that adds extra challenges. Uh, but there was a lot to keep track of. And it's not just those 10 or 20 tasks, most of which were little ones and then usually a couple bigger ones, but it's also all the subtasks. If I'm running a transaction, for example, there might be 25 different subtasks that need to be done. There's the stuff I've sent to the client that they haven't responded to that I have to keep track of because at the end of the day, lawyers are project managers. They may not be trained on that, but every lawyer realizes, I think, that they are a project manager, a psychologist, a lawyer. They're, they're a whole lot of things. And so I realized, you know, I needed a real tool that would actually do this for me. And uh, Asana is one of the main ones out there. There's plenty of others, but a proper task management tool for me became absolutely essential. And what's sort of funny, or maybe not funny, but but really nice, I guess, is when I joined my new firm, Reno & Co., they use Asana and they use it, you know, properly. So my old firm, I was using it solo, which you can imagine for a task management tool, 
and a project management tool is not its number one functionality, but it got the job done for me because literally I don't know how I would have remembered to do everything I needed to do without that. And I would see lawyers dropping the ball all the time, whether it was at my firm or at other firms. And I think in a lot of cases they were busy, but in a lot of cases they forgot. And often people might think, oh, well, I sent that to the client, so it's off my plate. But it's your job as the lawyer to make sure stuff gets done. And very often it could be a colleague, it could be a client, it could be anybody who hasn't done what they needed to do. And that could be bottlenecking things. And so the fact that I was that organized, clients really appreciated it. Lawyers really appreciated it. And I always knew what was going on at any given time, despite the fact that I was working on so many more files than the average lawyer. And if you're if you're a lawyer or an accountant, you know, listening to this, you know, litigators like personal injury lawyers might have like a hundred files at a time. They're all at different stages, right? And you need to be able to jump back in at any point in time, especially if the client calls you out of nowhere. I've got to be able to get back in the zone and figure out what the heck are we doing on your file? Because to the client, they're thinking, of course Aaron remembers this. You know, Aaron's my lawyer. He's been working on this. But what the client often doesn't appreciate is that Aaron or whoever you know is the lawyer on the file has probably worked on you know 20 30 40 other things in that interim window right and so part of being organized i think is having a system that works for you and as we look to the future world which is pretty clearly either a hybrid model or a fully remote or whatever you want to call it you need a, a solution that works for you that's location agnostic like you're not going to lug your whiteboard home from the office you're not going to lug a piece of paper around i hope because that is a recipe for disaster so I was ahead of the game also in the legal space of leveraging these kind of things. And that paid huge dividends when out of nowhere COVID hit in March 2020 because I was location agnostic. I had everything organized. I was not dependent on my assistant for these kind of things. That was huge. And uh, would just really recommend to people to think about these things. You know, How do you stay organized? How do you stay on top of things? And think about the benefits, not just for you, but also for the clients. I want to actually dive into a couple of things you said because it, it talks a bit about, you know, I, th I think a lot of people get hung up on the tools and, you know, for you, it's Asana, for someone, someone else, it might be Trello, for someone else, it might be Microsoft Task, maybe you know, everyone has their own set of tools, but they look at the tool, it, you know, the, it, it sort of makes sense when you start using it, but unless you understand the philosophy behind it, you end up getting, um, you don't fully end up embracing the, the full functionality of the tool. So I want to talk about two things that you talked about, which were uh, pretty interesting. You know, you, you said that each project really has so many different subtasks, and each of these subtasks could be in different stages of, of getting done. Right? You might be waiting for a colleague in, for task number A, and for, uh, or you might have even finished task number B. And you know, the, things are always in flux. And I think this is such an important point: this idea of cognitive load. The more open tasks are just sitting in your head the more anxiety you end up building in yourself as well, right? And, and we know that, right? When you can go to sleep at night, uh, um, you, you look to your phone, you try and distract yourself. There's stress, there's tension, there's pressure. And, you know, a lot of, I, I work with so many of these different lawyers and they always tell me that I got so many stuff going on, so much stuff really going on. And I always tell them like, hey, have you written everything down that you have? Do you have a trusted system where you just dump everything you have? You can process it later on. You can figure out what task goes to what project, and you can figure out what stage it's at at a different time. But you have a trusted, reliable system where you can dump everything you've got in a single place. And just the act of you doing that reduces the cognitive, cognitive load so massively. You feel such a sense of control by just 
putting everything that's floating around in your head. Maybe one thing isn't in someone's inbox. Maybe one thing is sitting on a sticky pad. Like just put it all in a single place so you know what to do with it. And the next part is obviously defining it, you know, adding some real clarity to it. So you don't want to write down something that just says taxes or birthday party, right? Well, you know, if you actually have to plan out a birthday party, that involves, well, I have to send out invites. I got to figure out the caterer. I got to figure out decorations. I got to get RSVPs. If someone hasn't replied back, I got to follow up with them. There are many different tasks involved there. But the more we leave it undefined, the, the more likely it is that there's going to be this cognitive load. It's going to be overwhelming when you actually open that task and be like, oh, well, what do I actually have to do with this? So make the time to actually clarify it. And maybe that can be a different part of your value stream. And I'll talk about that in just a, different mo in, in just a moment. Because that's the second thing you talked about, identifying bottlenecks. Right now, people don't really know what a bottleneck is. You know, they, they look at time, they look at task management as an input-output, as a one or a zero as a done or not done sort of stage of things. But really, a task has many different stages. A project work time has many different stages, right? There's the backlog, stuff that's just sitting there that we haven't really thought about or processed. Then you have maybe a stage above that, which is, uh, well, clarification. You've, you've sort of clarified that actually birthday means, well, there's a task about I got to send out invites. There's getting a caterer. There is following up. There's decoration, all of that is a different task in and of itself. So that's that's a different stage of the task. It's a, still the same task, but it's a different stage of the task. Do you see how this is, you know, we're adding a depth to, to your time management by just adding an extra stage in your time, in your task management. So then we have the actual clarification. Then you have work in progress, right? Like now I'm actually working on it. So here's what I choose to work on during the day today. And you have a limit there. And, Going back to the idea earlier on, do you have slack in your day? So you don't want to overstuff your day with a gazillion things. You want two or three things that you can reliably knock it out of the park. And you'll know that you have all these other stuff sitting around uh, in case you want to pull it from your system. But today, right now, I'm choosing to work on this one or two or three things just because we want slack. We want cars in the freeway that can actually move along. And then finally, we have the done stage of the task, right? You can where you're pulling the task and getting it completed. So that's really what a value map actually is. Can you take a task from beginning to completion and do you know exactly how you create value? Uh, maybe the first step is clarification. The second step is what well, I'm choosing to work on it today. Maybe a third step is I'm waiting for someone to get back to me, right? And you can have a task just sitting there. And then finally the project actually gets done. And so this idea of value mapping is so important. And if you haven't done it, I highly recommend doing it. And I think this is where to-do lists sort of break because they only give you two ways of looking at the world. It's either done or not done. But if you can figure out a tool that can allow you to value map, and Asana lets you do that, Trello lets you do that, and heck, even a whiteboard lets you do that. If you really want to, you can just make different columns to really map out how you, how you measure your time and how you get stuff done and move a task along from point A to point B. And by the way, it's really amazing to see stuff to actually move things along from point A to point B because it's actually kind of exciting, right? Like you can actually see that, well, I'm taking it from, from backlog to planned to, to working on to done. And that that itself is psychologically really motivating. It's, it's, it's exciting to take a thing from point A to point B. But it's also it also lets you identify bottlenecks, right? If you always find yourself, if, if there's a big backlog of stuff just sitting in the planning column, well, you know that maybe I need to optimize for that. I need to figure out the real problem I have in managing my time is clarifying a task. 
Or if you see a bunch of stuff just in the waiting column because you're waiting for a colleague to get back to you, maybe that's something you need to clarify, right? It, it might just mean that instead of sending out an email, it, it might be quicker to just hop on a phone call with that colleague and say, hey, I need to get A, B, C, D done, and maybe setting up a recurring call on a daily basis, a weekly basis to get just get through a lot of tasks in a, in a single sitting. So value mapping, figuring out how you work is such an important tool. And you know, if you aren't really doing it, you should go out there and do it. It'll make your life so much easier. No, those, are, those are all great points, Dowell. And I think lawyers sometimes fall into the trap of believing it's impossible to do this. You know, If you don't own your schedule and you're in the client service business, how can you possibly do these things? I don't think that's true at all. I think there are added challenges for lawyers, accountants, you know, other service-based providers, but but it's not impossible. And it's interesting, actually, you know, I read the book Deep Work uh, not too long ago by Cal Newport and posted about that on LinkedIn a couple weeks ago. And the response is really interesting because there's a number of lawyers who are trying these kind of strategies, but there's a lot of lawyers that had never heard of Deep Work in the first place, but were really intrigued. And the concept of deep work is is pretty straightforward at a high level. It's finding time to not be distracted so you can focus and, and get into flow state and really get stuff done. And there is countless, countless evidence that you do better work, you do more creative stuff, you do all sorts of good things. And the challenge as lawyers, and I, I when I say lawyers, I also absolutely include myself in there. The challenge is too often we are hopping from task to task to task. And if I'm working on 10 or 20 files a day, you can imagine how often I'm doing that. But one of the things I'm trying to be a lot better at now, and I think I have been, there's still room for improvement, but is blocking off time. And what I mean by that is saying, okay, I'm gonna tackle emails, for example, from X time to Y time, and then again, later in the day in, in certain buckets. And obviously if I have a huge transaction on the go that's about to close, or I'm working on something that I know is super time sensitive and I'm waiting for an email, that's a whole different ballgame. But it's being a little bit more mindful about my day. And yes, clients are going to bug me at all points in time. Um, but you don't have to answer that call. You know, like if you're on another call with a client, you're not going to pick up anyway. So you don't necessarily have to answer. You could always call them back. And I think really it's creating some rules for yourself to say, okay, you know, firstly, what kind of person am I? And by that, I mean, am I a morning person? Am I a night person? When do I normally do my best work? When do I focus best? And those are great times of day to block off for deep work. That's stuff that you really need to do. So think, for example, about you know that drafting exercise you need to do, whether it's drafting a, a statement of claim or, or drafting a contract, whatever it is, no matter your kind of practice, some of those tasks are really hard to do you know, in five-minute intervals where you keep jumping back and forth and keep getting interrupted. In fact, I'd actually argue they're impossible to do because you almost need to get into the flow state or something similar to that to get it done. Like You need that uninterrupted period of time. For some people, that time of day is going to be early mornings or at night when there are no interruptions because people aren't bugging you. But I think you can do that during the day, but you have to make it happen. And so for me, for example, right now, what I've been playing around with is, you know, we use a scheduling tool to book calls. So right now, I've allowed people to book networking calls or, or certain, you know, non-existing client calls into my calendar between, I think, 9 and 10 in the morning and 4 and 5 in the afternoon. And that's it. You cannot book a call in my calendar otherwise. Uh, without me having to to manually do it. So first things first, I've I've given myself permission to say, if people want to speak with me, I'm talking non-clients here, then you can only do it in these windows. And I've blocked off, you know, two to four every afternoon, for example, for myself for deep work, which means I am not really checking email, I'm not doing any of that stuff. And again, from the client standpoint, I might be in a meeting, I might be doing all sorts of things. You know, we're not actually available 
all day during business hours anyways. But I think sometimes we think if we don't have a binding commitment, then we have to be available. And that doesn't actually make any sense. So again, you know, you could you could set an out of office automatically in that time frame that says, hey, I'm not checking emails right now. Uh, if you really need me, uh, you know, here's my cell or, or call my phone twice in a row and then I'll call you back. You know, you can build systems that work for you. But I think also we don't think enough about minimizing distractions and email and all the notifications on every other social media platform. And, you know, if you're like me, you might have clients messaging you all over the place on Telegram, on WhatsApp, on Slack, everywhere. Um, I don't think we think enough about being more deliberate with our time. Because productivity can be choosing what tasks to do. But as you said, Dowell, you know, there's a lot of noise in the background and a lot of things in your head. And one way is to simply say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with those at all during this window. And suddenly you have uninterrupted time where you can get a lot done. But if you are constantly bouncing back and forth, uh, trying to do work, interrupted by an email, interrupted by a phone call, all these things that are so often the reality for lawyers, it is so hard to get that deep work done, to get that drafting done. And Davo, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that too. Yeah, there's a lot of very compelling research that says that for any person who comes and says, can I just have five minutes of your time uh, or an email or you know whatever it might be, uh, it takes up to 23 to 25 minutes for you to refocus to the same extent that you had before. So that is a lot of time wasted for you to get back to uh, the same level of productivity and effectiveness that you should have been working at throughout. And I love this idea of actually setting aside time for deep work. And you know, this goes back to the idea of having Slack in your schedule if possible. Um, the, more, the more Slack you actually add to your schedule, the more time and space you have for deep work. So make, make definitely prioritize that, definitely make time for that because it'll, I, I work with a lot of clients and, and they say that, you know, I'm actually burned out from this work. I'm actually feeling exhausted from all this. And you know, one of the biggest drivers of happiness and fulfillment in our work is being able to do deep work and being able to get into the state of flow. But you can only get into the state of flow if you allow yourself to be uninterrupted, where, where you actually allow yourself to do the work that you love to do. And if you aren't making time for that, then of course you're going to end up being unhappy. Of course you're going to end up being burning out. Of course you're going to end up feeling overwhelmed and out of control. And, and this is the reason why so many people work late into the night, right? They take work home because they know they're not going to be interrupted by people or they come into, you know, come into the office way early in the morning just because they're not going to be interrupted by people. But what you're doing here, Aaron, is actually quite smart. You're actually setting that time aside. You're blocking that time aside right in your calendar. Right? You're, set, you're blocking it aside right in your schedule and saying that this is my time. This is this is sort of an unalienable time where I'm getting stuff done that I, I need to get done. This is my flow time. This is my time where I'm moving tasks from point A to point B to point C and getting it done. And it's really rewarding. It feels really good, right? Like I think all of us have been in a, uh, we've all sort of done a project, maybe, maybe it goes back to school, where we're so totally in that state of flow, where we're at our level of competence, we're at our level of of excitement and it just the work just gets done and feels so good to get it done so if you aren't really setting aside time for it then um, set aside time for it experience the state of flow reorient your nature and relationship with time because it's just going to be an incredible um, uh, change in your career I think uh, people come to us thinking about this is all about business development you know this, this, this podcast is all about business development but it's about so much more than that it's about reorienting how we look at work, how we look at time, how we look at your your career, and how fulfilled you are with it, and 
business development is one way of achieving that, but the other way of achieving that is how do you manage your time and how do you manage your energy? Um, and if you can start doing that, you'll start seeing remarkable changes. No, it's, and, I think it's one of the things you just have to be mindful of, as, as you said, and it's, it's not automatic. You know, you're often not taught these things in law school or at your law firm or anything like that. And I think we have to get out of the mindset that it's impossible for lawyers or for accountants or for others in these kind of industries to do it. And I think so often we're told that, you know, there, there's, there's the old joke, you know, uh, you know, what, what were you doing making plans on a weeknight? You know, when you have to cancel something, you know, at nine o'clock on a Tuesday or whatever. And that doesn't make any sense in the first place. It's ridiculous. And I think, you know, lawyers, partners, associates, you know, need to be much more kind to junior lawyers because nobody should be on standby 24 seven. Like there, that's no way to live. And that's no way to practice. And I think uh, there's a lot of evidence saying that if you don't have control of your schedule, you know, that's one of those things that makes people a lot less happy with their jobs. And that should come as no surprise to anyone who's lived through that. And I suspect most of our listeners have. But really, I think we have to get away from this mindset that it's impossible as a lawyer to block off that time. And I've heard from a number of lawyers who say, oh, it's impossible. I could never do that. To which I say, it absolutely is possible. It's not easy. But you start small and you tweak and you, you iterate. And I think that's the thing. You know, you can't expect to find that perfect outcome right away. You have to figure out what works for you. But really, at the end of the day, you know, there are ways to be more productive. There are third-party technologies. There are, you know, ways that don't involve any technology. I mean, a whiteboard is as basic as it gets. And I actually use a whiteboard for a couple personal things because I just find it works best for some of those things. But really, you know, start being a little bit more mindful about this. And Dal, I'm curious in your life, you know, what do you what do you use? How do you how do you manage everything? Yeah, I, I use a um, I actually use a, a Kanban board, um, and we talk a lot about that in our coaching. Um, getting started with a Kanban board, uh, but I started off just using sticky pads. I, I literally just had a whiteboard. I drew a bunch of columns that said, "Well, here's how I get work done." It's in the backlog. It goes into ready. It goes into work in progress. And then it goes done. So I would literally just take a sticky pad from point A to point B to point C and get it done. And that's how I got started. And now I've migrated over to better tools. I use Trello primarily. I think Trello is fantastic. You can do a bunch of automations where you know you can set deadlines on it. You can actually tag other colleagues on it. Um, if you need to, it'll it'll remind you when something is not really working. Colleagues can leave comments on it. It's a really powerful tool. So the, the tool is, I guess, less important, but I think what's important is first embracing the philosophy of it because if you just start using the tool, and you don't embrace the philosophy, then the tool itself will break down for you, and it'll, go, it'll become a glorified to-do list once again, which doesn't give you context, it doesn't give you a sense of accomplishment, it, it, you know, it, it increases your, your cognitive overload, it makes you anxious, it's the same thing that makes you have to you know, stay up late into the night, come early into the office, feel overwhelmed, feel stressed, feel, feel burnt out, but if you start embracing the philosophy behind these tools, that's when the real magic starts happening, and as Aaron, you said, um, it's absolutely possible. Start small, build your way up, and you'll see remarkable results. And on that note, I think we're all out of time talking about time um, for this mini episode on the Build, Build Your Book podcast. As of next week, we're going to get back into schedule. We're going to have a lot more guests coming up. Hope everyone's enjoying a great weekend. We'll leave uh, a few of the resources in the show notes where you can look up these tools, you can look up some of more reading about this philosophy of looking at time, this, this Kanban and Agile methodology. And uh, yeah, we'll do that. Any parting words, Sarah? 
think just remembering, you know, it's all, it's a journey. You don't need the answers right away. And I think even when I started using Asana three or four years ago, I mean, I kept experimenting, trying to figure out what was going to work, what wasn't going to work. And it was far from perfect to start because, you know, these are new tools and new ways of thinking. But the goal is really to say to yourself, you know, what do I wish I could do? And how do I think I could do this better? And quite frankly, it all goes back to that vision, you know, what kind of life do I want to have? When do I want to be able to get work done? And then starting to think about what are some ways we could possibly do that. So don't expect perfection right away. These are new tools, but lawyers, accountants, other people in these spaces can absolutely do these things. It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of experimentation. Wonderful place to end it. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you next week. For show notes from this episode and all previous ones, go to buildyourbook.org slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe to it on Apple iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever it is that you find your podcast from. Share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you have any questions you'd like us to cover, send us a message on podcast at buildyourbook.org. And if you'd like personalized coaching to help you build your book of business, go on to buildyourbook.org slash contact. Until next week, take care.